Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the feminist podcast that knows the soul of America is golf. Today we have Zoe and Laura. As you may have guessed, as the goth icon of the coven, um, I'm very excited <laughs> for today's episode. We're going to be talking about the new book, Darkly Black History and America's Gothic Soul, with the author herself. Welcome, Leela Taylor. Yay! Welcome, Hi, Leela. thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank we're so excited to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited was... to be here. Yay! <laughs> I was excited that you wrote in the intro, like, how to say your name yes, phonetically, because sometimes when we have guests and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. So I was like, perfect. I know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit before we start talking about your book? Sure. Um, so I'm sort of new to writing. Uh, I just, uh, this is my first book. And um but professionally, I'm a creative director for Brooklyn Public Library, so graphic design is my background. Um, but uh, I've been talking and doing lectures and presentations and writing a little bit about um, the gothic and goth culture um, and horror and things like that for a while now. And all of that kind of um, uh, gelled into this book here. I went back to, went back to grad my thesis became my book um, that you have before you now. Yes. Um, but yeah, so so I've sort of been, I've done the sort of dual life of being a designer and a writer for a while now. Um, so now I'm really kind of diving into the writing stuff, um, which has been really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I feel like it's kind of like you get to dip your, your toes into both sides of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some toes are bigger than others. The writing toes getting pretty darn big. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love to see it as the the beneficiaries of being able to read your beautiful writing. I was like telling someone about it. And for me, and like, I think one of the main things that we try to do on this podcast is make sure that the work that we talk about and the, you know, ideas that we talk about are accessible to people who maybe don't have a foundation of knowledge. And the thing that I really love about your book, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, is how it is part memoir, part history, um, and how accessibly it was written. Um, because for me, that's so huge. And like, there's so many gatekeepers to academic writing and things like that. And so I loved like that piece of it as well, just in terms of like the structuralness of the book. Yeah, yeah. Like I, pers- I don't really like academic writing. Yeah, of um, course. I, <laughs> who who enjoys yeah, academic writing? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't come. Yeah, it doesn't come natural <laughs> to me. And the memoir part of it was it. I didn't actually intend to write about myself as mm. much as I did. Um, but when I started talking about both of these things, sort of historically and culturally, about race and about what gothic meant to me, it was just really hard not to talk about myself. Yeah. And um, it really just became a way for me to understand how I became uh, the person that I am and why I am the way I am and see sort of myself in a larger sort of cultural narrative or a larger historical perspective as well. So I kind of feel like it's not only, um, you know, talking about these larger grand structural issues and historical issues but um how all of those things affect personally or any one person as an individual I think um is what has come across with this yeah absolutely yeah yeah I think that was really effective because in general I'm not huge into reading like history type stuff but I really like reading um memoirs and like about people's like personal experiences so like tying that together made it um, definitely more like captivating for me. So, um, but yeah, I thought we could talk a little about just like what being goth means. Um, so in the book you write, goth represents a resistance to the mainstream, a self-identifying otherness, a skepticism of blind optimism. It is the melodramatic elan 
to the dull hegemonic culture of positivity. Goth isn't just fashion, it is sensibility and perspective on the world, a goth perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So, which I really liked. I never really like questioned like, what is goth? Like, why am I like this? I just kind of was like, since high school, just like, yeah, I guess, I guess this is me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But what in your opinion is like that goth perspective and way of being? Oh, well, one of the reasons why I put that in there is because I think a lot of people have a lot of different definitions of what got and I think uh it was important for me to sort of make that distinction between the culture of of goth and the gothic and what the gothic means um Mm -hmm. and for me kind of similarly I was always kind of a creepy kid I was obsessed with (laughs) death and the supernatural and ghosts and I remember being I think I was in kindergarten and we lived or friend lived not too far away from a cemetery so we would go there and play and there was a open grave like they had dug the hole for someone um and it was just sort of open in there and we were just sitting along the side like making mud pies out of the dirt oh the <laughs> and we would like we would like take turns like playing funeral like, like one of us would be dead and everyone would like cry over them and stuff um, oh my god so it's, it's always been a part of who I was and then um when I guess I don't know like 12 13 or so um I discovered the music and the music you know Susie and the Banshees um Enjoy Division and The Cure and and the music seemed to fit who I was already like there was suddenly this soundtrack to my personality you know um and then I discovered Anne Rice and it all just gelled into what, what this what became me, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think one of the things that people uh, don't really get a lot with goth is uh, the camp of it, and the glamour, and the drama of it. I mean, I think people have a tendency to have this vision of goth kids as just being gloom and doom and sad and smoking cigarettes outside of a you know a Denny's restaurant or something <laughs> and uh, it's a very, very sort of you know 19th century uh melodramatic art of melancholy mm-hmm. you know it, it's not real depression because real depression is as fun as god is it's a performance <laughs> yeah the performance of mourning you know no, I loved I loved all those yeah. pieces when you talked about that and kind of talked about like Beetlejuice and and all of these really um, campy expressions of that too because I had never really thought about it in that way and just thinking about that and I I know you're only midway of this what you're talking about but I just was like yes I loved that how you laid that out in the book too yeah and I think a lot a big part of it and part of I guess the resistance aspect of it or the um, rebellion rebellious aspect of it is you know it takes a lot of guts to go outside dressed in full black velvet <laughs> and a top hat um you know <laughs> your guy wearing like eyeliner and you know or and especially to be a woman and look sad and frown and uh, i think you know, i think we have this idea in our culture of course that you know women are supposed to smile and look perky and be friendly. And the thing that I loved about like Susie Sue is I never saw her smile. Mm. And I loved that. Yeah. You know? Um so I think I, I appreciated the 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 way I could act and express myself in a way that more true to myself. That wasn't what you saw on TV and it wasn't what you saw in advertising about what women were supposed to be like. Um and I think that really uh, that really attracted me, and it really sort of sparked something in my head about like this different kind, there different ways of um, of woman, or the projection of that, and that happiness doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, for some people, happiness is you know a, a picnic on the beach and happy you know smiling faces and and volleyball and and you know, a Hallmark card. For some people, that's what happiness 
looks like, but that doesn't necessarily look like that for everybody, you know, and being all dressed in morning gear, you know, sing, you know, singing along to, you know, a dirge and hanging out in the cemetery uh, is what happiness looks like for some people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I went to, it made me think of this summer I went to a wedding and I was wearing this like long black dress and every other um, woman there was wearing like colorful, like sundresses. Cause it was in, I think June or July. And I just like immediately was like, oh, okay, like obviously a little bit out of place on the dress code. Um, <laughs> and then like someone said to me like, oh, you know, it's rude to wear black to a wedding because it looks like you're mourning. And I was like, I, w I wear black every day. <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude to the bride and groom. It's just like, this is how I dress every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I went to, I went to a few funerals, a couple of different funerals. Um, in the past year and a half, well, three, actually three. And every single one of them requested that people not wear black. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I was just like, this is the one instance where it's completely appropriate for me to wear all black. And they're saying no. So I'm like, now I have to go out and buy a dress. <laughs> I don't have because everything I own is black. Wow. <laughs> wow. Borrowing stuff from my sister. Yeah, I think um, when Zoe and I were reading this, uh, we were texting back and forth about some passages and she had underlined a passage that you were talking about the textures, like looking in your closet, it's more about the textures than really being able to see anything because it's just this like darkness. And she was like, I've literally never felt so validated in my life about what looking in my closet is like. It's like, I can never find anything that I'm looking for. <laughs> Or the horror of buying something and you take it home and you realize it's dark navy blue oh. instead of black. <laughs> I like I have this pair of pants that yeah I thought were black and they're like very dark navy blue and I continue to just wear them and like pretend that they are black. Right. <laughs> That's the spirit. Just yes. like they were kind of expensive pants, so I just have to pretend that it works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, switching gears a little bit. <laughs> Just like the wardrobe of goths, which I do love to talk about. Um, but another really interesting thing in the book you talked about was the respectability politics for Afro goths or black goths, because it's adding, as you put it, an extra layer of oddity on top of already being part of a marginalized group. Um, yeah. I love some of the examples you included, like the shirt that said, so goth, I was born black. I just was like, yeah. oh, that's just very cute. <laughs> a very nice line. Um and it really ties in like how those identities do fit together. But how have you seen or experienced the respectability politics around that? Well, I think um, when I one of the reasons why I started this book is I would go into spaces, go to events or shows or um, or whatever. And I'd be the only black person there or like one or two, you know, mm -hmm. and I was all, always in you know, like I said, the only raisin in the oatmeal kind of thing. I'm this one little black spot that gets to see of white, you know. And I, and I always kept thinking, why? You know, why really is this? And there's this category of, like, activities or hobbies um, that are kind of lumped together as things black people don't do, like Burning Man or steampunk or, like, Renaissance Fair, you know. Uh, there's, this, there's this idea that there, and for lack of a better term, and forgive me, mm. there's a set of things that are sort of quote crazy shit white people do. Yeah, and it's this ongoing joke. Like he and Phil <laughs> do really great funny things with us. Um, but there's this idea that things that are um, frivolous. I call actually I call it the um, the privilege of frivolity. That the idea that things that are frivolous are things that are not romantic and goth is straight up romanticism, um, things that kind of have no real uh, purpose, things that could be distracting. Mm. Um, all of those things that give people pleasure are things that either black people don't have the time for, they don't have the mental energy for, because there's this idea that you're kind of constantly vigilant. Right. And a lot of times um, losing that vigilance can get you killed mm -hmm. and doing some um embarrassing or weird or silly um in other contexts 
if you're um, not a person of color, that can just sort of be dismissed as, oh, that's just a weird, um, where if you're a person of color, uh, that can be shot, you know? Um, So, uh, and not only that, but there's this sort of policing of emotions that have been going on forever for Black Americans since the slave trade. Um, You know, when you're on the auction block, being forced to smile and laugh and dance um, and look like you enjoy what's happening mm-hmm. rather than being looking terrified um, or looking as if you're in despair, like the feelings they're actually feeling. Um, so out of the years of being sort of either seen, um, you know, the minstrel, the mom, being someone to um, either make fun of, uh, there's this idea of gravitas, you know, this kind of burden of cool that black people have had, you know, um, where you don't lose control and you kind of keep, if the kid keep it together all the time. And while that is a reality, it's also really dehumanizing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really limiting sort of the scope, the emotional range that a person can feel if you can never really let go. And like there's this and during about, probably about the same time that the Black Lives Matter movement started, I started seeing these um, uh, things on like Twitter and on social media for uh, like the carefree black and, you know, happy black and happy black people. And there were just images or videos of black folks being silly and laughing and goofy. It had to be kind of characterized and had to be um, brought into the public. It was really telling because it's something that is so rare and you have to kind of label it and there's like have a a hashtag black girl magic or something Mm. you know where just the act of being um uh yeah silly or being um foolish or being ridiculous or being um melodramatic for no reason um, that becomes a political act and that becomes an act of rebellion. Um, being able to just be human, you know? So I think there's that. And there's also, um, this idea. Yeah. I think that especially with music, especially with goth music, which is kind of considered or goth in general is considered sort of a white culture, um, regardless of the fact that, you know, there are black people who are in music and the culture forever. There's also an idea that if you are involved um, a perceived white culture um, and are a fan of perceived white music, quote unquote, that you're somehow lacking in blackness or you're somehow um, not black enough mm-hmm. or you're... Um, you're betraying your race or your people somehow because you like quote unquote white music and you don't hip hop or something, you know? Yeah. Like you wrote about how you, you were being othered for not being black enough a lot in your late adolescence. You wrote, uh, the quote was the specificity of goth aesthetic is clear. Blackness is not. Um, and I feel like, this, you know, that is, to me, kind of sums up the the burden that you're speaking about here, too. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea that there is this um, um, unified uh, definition of Black, uh, the sort of Black consciousness idea, where you yourself as an individual, um, your own subjectivity, kind of butting up against the idea of blackness and Mm. a representation of entire people so you're kind of one person and all people sort of simultaneously um right but the whole idea is that there is no definition of blackness there is no unified idea of what a black person there are stereotypes and there are uh definitely cultural similarities and there is a shared history that's the one thing that is definitely unified. And I'm kind of speaking sort of 
specifically about uh, people who uh, uh, come from um, ancestors of the slave trade. Right. Uh, so not necessarily people from a broader diaspora, mm-hmm. um, but people who uh, people who are you know come from slavery. Um, so there is a definite shared historical memory um, that you have, but how you express yourself, how you act, how you talk, how you look. I mean, when I was a kid, everyone, you know, people would always make fun of me for talking white. I think I was a white person because of the way I talk. Um, and I, it's one of those where it's like, I can't help the way I talk. <laughs> this is my voice. And yeah. I'm somehow getting judged as not being black enough for my voice. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that there, are, um, there's always this attempt to sort of say this. This is what a black person. They like Tyler Perry movies. Uh, they go to church, you know, mm. um, or tailoring this experience to them. And you know, while it might be common, while there might be a lot of things, you know, black people all do have in common. The idea that there is somehow um, one type. Is, is is ridiculous it makes it makes absolutely no sense there, there's there's many kinds of being a black person and black people <laughs> right it, it's dehumanizing to flatten like an entire uh race to one existence right um yeah and exactly and i think like the way that you describe both your experience and then, you know, as I think Zoe's about to ask about the the history of the United States and the parallels that you draw there as well, it it really it really speaks to all of the things that you're talking about here too. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Laura. That is exactly what I was about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really liked all of the parallels between like the horror genre of film and books and like so many um, examples that you gave. Uh, and comparing that with the reality of American history being having a lot of horror elements, of course. Um, but how did you decide to write this book where you tie those things together? And like, it's a very unique kind of lens that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I think I probably started, I started talking about or thinking about uh, goth as a subculture. Um, and what I kind of realized is as a subculture, I mean, black goths are the same as white goths or Mexican goths. We all like the same stuff and mm-hmm. we're the same kind of clothes and like the same kind of music, you know, but the difference, the thing that makes a black goth person in America different is that they're a black person in America. And right. I think that there are gothic aspects to the culture and the history that I, I was saying and started off the first sort of artifact or the first thing besides film was uh, Billy Holiday's Strange Fruit. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is the most goth song ever. Um, and it's a direct connection. It's a song about an actual lynching of two men. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes straight from our history, you know, um, but it has a combination of this kind of bucolic be- beauty, you know, and Billie Holiday's voice and this gorgeousness with these really horrific lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, and the smell of burning flesh and the story of where that song came about. And, um, so I thought this, this is what black goth is. And then it became, and the movie Film came a little bit later. It went from, I started thinking about the music, specifically Billie Holiday, Strange Fruit. Um, and then, and Toni Morrison's Beloved. Mm. A, a classic horror story. A classic haunted house story. Sort of through the lens of a slave narrative, you know. And the fact that this this horror story also came from true events. It's, it's based on a real event this woman uh margaret garner who was uh an escaped slave she uh, ran away to ohio and slave catchers were after her and she killed her dog um, uh, to keep her from having to go back and live her life as a slave and have to go through everything that she did 
I'm sorry, um, Leela. Can you um, can you repeat yeah. that last part? It cut out for she killed her something, and I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Um, she escaped um, a plantation in Rancho Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, slave catchers were catching up to her, and they were coming after her to get her to take her back um, to Kentucky. I think I want to say, and she killed her daughter. Oh. And, yeah, she killed her daughter because she did not want her to go back into slavery mm. to save her from having to live a life as a slave and go through everything that she had to go through. And wow. Beloved is about that child, is about that baby mm. coming back, right. you know. Uh, and I, so I think those were kind of the, and then the, the part where I think the films that, that made the biggest connection to me were much more about my own personal um and I talk about it and only lovers left alive because they're both set in Detroit. So the way that both of those films use the city as a sort of backdrop for uh, horror or the macabre or the goth, um, I thought was really interesting the way these two films did it because that's where I came from, you know, mm-hmm. and I always felt that Detroit had a very kind of gothic quality to it. So yeah. The, the films were much more about my own personal history, whereas the song and the book were more about Black history as a whole, really. Yeah. Um, I, I was really interested in if you could talk a little bit more for our listeners about how there is such a difference. Um, I mean, of course, like you were saying, there's the, the goths everywhere have a lot of the same interests, but... Um, the there is a difference that you outline between you know a European Gothic and the Southern Gothic, and of course there are many other kinds that you outline. Mm-hmm. But I think specifically those two are really illustrative of the myriad of ways that um, Gothic visuals and aesthetic can show up. Yeah, I mean I think the way that we what we think of as Gothic um, had its origin in 1764 in England. It's kind of its birthplace, kind of as is Goth music. Um, but when people think of goth or the gothic in America, they think Southern Gothic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Southern Gothic narratives um, are usually they're they're white. They're almost always white authors, and the story that they tell, and the stories, um, the stories that they tell, are about the kind of loss of identity and the malaise and the kind of confusion and um, the results of living in a post-slavery where um, economically you're depressed, uh, you've lost sort of this idea of a Southern identity or a Southern way um, is now Mm -hmm. gone or it's condemned. And so you have, uh, while while in kind of classic Gothic, literature or in horror you have um sort of monsters and vampires and these uh sort of very other dramatic creatures that are that are causing fear um for whatever metaphor you want to metaphor for whatever fear you have the southern gothic is much more internal it's a much more um trauma based kind of gothic but it's also the story of the white South Southern experience. Right. And um, so what I was sort of interested in was, well, what really is the, what really is the American Gothic? Um, and that's what comes out in black or any kind of, and I, and I'm of course talking about, you know, black Americans, cause that's what I am. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that um, native Americans, I would say Latinas now, I think we're going to see in the next um, few years uh, a growth or burgeoning or birth of a kind of uh, Latino American Gothic style in literature and art or film. Uh, Same thing with uh, Middle Eastern people in this country. I think any culture, there's definitely a queerness um, to the Mm -hmm. Gothic. Mm -hmm. So I think any any people, any group who experiences trauma and repression and violence, violence regularly 
directed against them. Um, all of that repressed feeling has to come out somewhere and it comes out in the culture. And one thing that I think is interesting is for since the beginning, Gothic literature and horror literature has always been very female oriented in a lot of ways. Like haunted houses are usually centered around women mm. because that's, you know, women are sort of the place in the home. Um, if you look at Shirley uh, Jackson's novels and things like that, you know, Frankenstein was written by a woman. You know? Right. So yeah. I think, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Just thinking about that. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to talk about the commodification of goth culture Um, which she mentioned and wrote that instead of goth being something that you were, goth was something that you could buy. Um, And so as a leftist feminist podcast, of course, we love to critique capitalism (laughs) um, and commodification. (laughs) So um, as a longtime goth and just in general, how have you seen that play out in like goth culture? I mean, it's interesting because I was, I'm pre-hot topic. (laughs) All that happened before. The goth timeline so, pre and post. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm technically like an elder goth or something. But, but you um, like you in your book when you said that you like cringed about it. So don't use it if you don't want to. <laughs> you know what? I'm kind of owning it. I'm kind okay, of good, it good. more and more now. All right. I kind of like it. Good. It sounds powerful. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Elders yeah. are fucking badass, but like, exactly. yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, so when, uh, you know, when all of this was coming up, you know, we were, you know, dyeing our own clothes black and going to thrift stores and making up your own thing. And it became very much kind of about your own identity and kind of, kind of how you expressed it. And, um, you know, you started seeing, you know, you look at like Susie Sue and see the way that they dressed or you saw their style or the makeup or something like that. And you kind of formulated your own look that made sense to you, however it is you wanted to express yourself. And because goth has such a a clear visual, I think everyone in their head and when we think of a goth person can kind of see the same thing mm-hmm. um so as soon as it became part of the culture um and the part of the greater culture when you had like um on saturday night live and goth talk which is hilarious yes um uh, <laughs> south park south park goth mm-hmm. i think the south 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 park goth is hilarious mm-hmm because I'm like, yeah, that's just dead on. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but as soon as you, as soon as you get that, the, the more the culture as a whole um, can sort of define it and grab it and use it for themselves, then you can sort of start selling it back to them, you know. And and I think what I've seen, and I, I'm probably going to sound like a you know back in my day, you know, <laughs> but. You know, there you know there wasn't Instagram and there wasn't you know Tumblr. There weren't all of these how to be a goth person mm-hmm. sites, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And it was like I, I'm looking around. I was like, so much of this is about like makeup tutorials mm. and and the clothes that you're supposed to buy. Um, and it stopped being. And again, this is me looking out because, again, I don't really, you know, I don't go to clubs much anymore or anything like that. But it seemed as soon as it became something, you could go to a, you know, go to a shop or a store and get the same kind of clothes that everybody else is getting because it's labeled with what goth stuff looks like. Um, it's, it just kind of lost its meaning for me. Hmm. You know, I kind of... I think once you're goth, you're kind of always a goth, but I'm not really a part of the goth anymore because I don't, I don't really identify with it anymore. I kind of lost, um, or, or for me, I guess I should say, I didn't find the same kind of connection to it on an emotional level um, or on a personal level um, once 
it became so much of a thing, you know? Totally. I mean, it's so, Um, like, I feel like it's, for me, it feels like a double-edged sword in that, like, when I think about it, I guess if I think about it in terms of, like, an analog in my life, which, of course, it doesn't line up quite the same, but, um, you know, when I was kind of coming into my queer identity and, like, um, having access to all these different versions of like queer culture and uh, style and all these different ways that things showed up for me, it was really freeing to see, but also like, yeah, of course, like queer people are also sold what people think of as whatever should be marketed to them or things like that, which is simultaneously ridiculous because we all obviously have a ton of different styles and all of that. But um, it, 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 you can't say, yeah. It's one of those things that's like, yes, it takes this like very special niche thing out of it, but also, you know, for people who like deeply identify as being a goth, it's possible that like that could feel really like um, maybe comforting to be able to see these other people uh, doing this so that they knew they weren't alone, especially if they were in like a small town or things like that. I don't know. I think about like that dual side of the internet all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's really where me where the uh, where I see really benefits to the um, uh, to the culture online, especially for Black goth, mm-hmm. where you might be the only you know person of color in your scene or go to the clubs, but you go online and there are whole groups and Facebook groups and you know Instagrams and publish of just on just for Black goth folk. Yeah. Um, to talk and share their experiences and things like that. So I think, you know, I think the commodification of subcultures happens. It, it just happens sort of naturally right. as soon as um, something that used to be uh, underground or something that used to be counterculture, it, the longer it stays, the longer it's in existence, eventually it's going to get picked up um, mm-hmm. by the culture as a whole, you know? I mean, so I don't think goth is unique at all in that. But what I think is what goth was for me, it's probably just different totally. from what it is for a goth kid who's, who's like 16 now. It's a, it's a different kind of experience. It's going to mean something different. I think that there are some people who will say, hey, I'm, you know, I think it's really cool to dress in black and I'm going to do this for a year and then get bored. And there are still other people who are just like me, who are sort of darkly inclined and kind of drawn to the morbid and drawn to, you know, horror and the the darker sides of life. They're always going to be there, and they're kind of and goth is always going to be there for them in yeah. whatever form, you know. Exactly. Um. So one thing that I really wanted to talk about um, is your use of photos and visuals in the book. Um, when I first started it, I wasn't really expecting it to be so visual in the sense that, you know, it's a nonfiction book and I was like going through it. And I, for me, the, I'm a very like visual learner. Um, Zoe and I both have backgrounds in photography and, um, that for me added a whole lot to everything that you were describing. Um, could you talk a little bit about the decisions you made to like include visuals in your work as well as like, how did you kind of put, pull the pieces together that you did? Um, I think there was a combination of things that I felt kind of just needed to be illustrated. Um, like the idea of uh, an Afro goth or black goth person and what that style means. I, I kind of, I felt like you just kind of had to need, you needed to see a picture of that next mm-hmm. to what a sort of quote unquote traditional um, goth looked like. Um, uh, it, I, I think it, it just needed to look at it because it's such a visual yeah. culture. Um, I think for things like that were my, my image. I just thought it was hilarious. I just think it's hilarious that I have a flyer for a party I made in like seventh grade. Is <laughs> that in a book? So that so, so, 
I think like the, my photos are just in because I wanted them in because I think it's hilarious. Yeah. But you know the other images, um, like having M. Lamar in there, mm-hmm. I think you need to see um, see him because his style, uh, his visual style, is so uh, much a part of who he is as artist and. And I love that image of him holding a copy of Toni Morrison's Beloved. And I was like, you know, just boom, that's it right there, you know? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the choice, yeah. I think a lot of the choices had to do with what I had rights to get. Mm-hmm. Sure, of course, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and some of it was, uh, um, I guess I just kind of wanted to honor some of the people who um, have meaning for me or think that mm-hmm. I care about, you know, like my aunts. Um, so the book is actually dedicated to my three aunts who passed away in the about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I include an image of my Aunt Joan's spiritual book as a kind of homage to her. Um, I in section about blackness and what the word black means um i love the artist camille Janan rashid and she does a lot of work around the black so some of it is illustrative of this is what an afro goth looks like mm-hmm. some of it is just me with for shits and giggles yeah and some of it is kind of like um giving homage to people who I, uh, whose work I think is interesting or, or valid or um, illustrates the way I'm thinking about something in a way that's easier shown than said, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in addition to all of the visuals, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I really enjoyed how many personal anecdotes you used as well as the historical and pop culture examples like it was just clear that you know like so so much about um you know these cultures and everything um how did you decide what to include because obviously there's like endless pop culture and historical examples um and Uh, personal stories yeah there's so much in there (laughs) um like one of those is like i there's even more i could have been volume two examples yeah um it's kind of more like what what I decided to not put in there. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of those where the more you start looking at you, the more you just see evidence of the idea yeah. that's sort of going around in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't, uh, I learned about Drexia, the band Drexia from uh, um, at a conference. I was at a, a, a goth and international gothic association conference. And, um, you know, I learned about this, this band and the history behind them and this whole mythology they made up about uh, the children or the babies of slaves, of pregnant slave women who were thrown overboard and right. how these babies survived underwater and created this whole society, you know. Now. Yes, I, I love that you described something. it as cross between Atlantis and uh, Wakanda. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, it's one of those rules like that's just too good. Yeah, not to include. You know, I, I think for me it was it was uh, kind of trying to cram as much in there. Honestly, totally well that one specifically um, I was like I need to read this now like I must yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a um it's a cool I think I think his kick because it was a um a graphic a graphic novel yeah I think it's I think it's in production I think it's being made now because at the time of the uh, there was still uh getting funding getting oh, funding yeah. for it cool very yeah. cool yeah, so unfortunately, we're towards the end of our time. We do have one more question for you. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm very excited we finally got to do this episode because I've been wanting to do like some kind of goth episode for a while. And then when I saw the email about your book, I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly what I want to talk about. 
Um, but so the last little section of your book, which is called Make America Goth Again, um, and that phrase just like kind of made my heart sing a little bit when I got to it. I was just like, ah, that's perfect. <laughs> um, so not to give too much away, of course, of your conclusion, but could you just talk a little bit about like what that means? Yeah, I think um, to me, one of the things I got and the gothic and horror does um, culturally or for the culture is it takes all of those things that are hidden away, that are repressed, that we're supposed to turn away from or hide from, that we're supposed to fear, and it's such a big spotlight on them. And not only does it look at all those things that we're supposed to repress and we're supposed to be afraid of, um, it takes pleasure in them, and it plays with it, and it plays with our fears, um, and it enjoys that feeling of repulsion, you know? And I think in our country, we are deeply deeply such an embedded denial of the truth about our country um and the foundation of our country have this kind of idea of this manifest destiny um you know shining city on a hill idealized notion about america that has never existed and it never will exist and i like the idea of of you know zombies of monsters of all of these things that are supposed to be uh the creepy things that we're scared of like these are the people these are the things in our culture that are rising from the dead and are coming back and that are haunting us are sort of demanding to be noticed i mean that's what the beloved is about it's about um this dead child uh, who's coming back and demanding to be noticed and demanding attention and things. So I think when the more we can embrace the kind of these cultural evidence, you know, these codes coming back to haunt us, I think the more we can embrace it and the more they come up, um, the more we acknowledge how haunted we are yeah. um, as a country, the better we'll be as a country when you finally actually, you know, let the zombies take over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Leela, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I mean, I, I would say uh, for anyone who gets there are so many artists and musicians of color who are doing really fascinating things. You know, I, I just mentioned M. Lamar. I mentioned uh, uh, ones who I'm a huge, huge fan of. Um, but I would just say, you know, take a little, take a little time to check out some of these other people. Uh, Camille Dan Rashid is doing really, really, really interesting things. Because um, that's the other thing that I hope this book does is I just want to give as many shout outs as I can to yeah. people I think who are doing cool work. <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely a lot of them. I was like, oh, I need to look into that. Oh, now I have to read that. I have to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and even the ones I'd already, like I had read That's Beloved <laughs> or Beloved in high school. Um, but I like didn't remember it that well because I was in high school. And I was like, oh, I should yeah. reread that. And with Get yeah. Out, like I saw Get Out when it came out in theaters. But reading your summary, I was like, oh, I really want to rewatch it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like it just yeah, yeah made yeah. me want to like pursue all of the references or even rewatch yeah. uh, Beyonce's Lemonade through like a <laughs> always want to rewatch that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's cool a big it's a reading watching list yes of, of exactly. everything I think everyone should see yeah absolutely yeah oh yeah because I also um last week I went to see Harriet in in the theater about Harriet Tubman and I was like really noticing all of their like fashion and everything and like Mm. all the different like goth things like I feel like I was just watching it in a different way than I would have before reading this book oh I haven't seen it yet I have not seen it yet (laughs) there's a lot of very amazing outfits in it (laughs) I will say not to give away any other spoilers but yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was super amazing. Um, We really, really recommend that everyone go and read your book. It was really accessible, really fun. And like you said, has like a lot of resources of ways that people can um, learn about more and access more of this culture and this community. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Well, that was our interview with Leela. That was awesome. So good. (laughs) Um, I do just want to add that when I was talking about Harriet and said the fashion was amazing, I did not mean to detract, of course, from the like very serious themes of that movie. And I just wanted to make that clear. Um, Because after I said that, I was just like, ah, okay, maybe, maybe that was not the best description of that film. But I mean, go I think, see it for yourselves. I think that was implied. I mean, like, knowing who you are, at least, <laughs> like, I can give, like, whomst among us is not giving you the benefit of the doubt. That thank it, you so much. I just wanted all of our listeners to know that yes. it was not lost on me. Yes. But anyway, I loved this episode. My goth heart is. So happy and goth today. Yes. Um, And, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you want to talk to us about things, you can holler at us on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Bee. Um, We have some content we just put up for our Patreon people only. So we have some astrology series called Roasted, where Zoe and I just roast people's charts, which is super fun. Um, we also have a D&D, a couple of D&D episodes, a Taylor Swift episode, and a 420 episode. So just <laughs> hop on there and and like that stuff. Um, we have some new merch coming out, so be on the lookout for that. And you can always rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and that's it. Yay! Yay! Amazing. <laughs> love you, Zoe. Well, I love you, Laura. Bye! <laughs> Bitch.